We want to take up our Bibles and read from two places here, one of which is the prophecy of the second, and the second of which is the fulfillment of the first. The prophecy is found in Psalm 8. We'll go to that first. In Psalm 8, subheading of which reads to the chief musician on the instrument of Gath, the Psalm of David. We're just going to read the first two verses and then the last, all of which speaks of God's name being exalted in all of the earth and especially in and from one place, and that would be in and from the hearts of children. For we read this, Psalm 8, the word of God, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth who have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouths, a mouth of babes and nursing infants, you've ordained strength because of your enemies that you may silence the enemy and the avenger. Verse 9, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. Now that's a prophecy. That's a word that speaks truth and speaks truth of something that will occur and which we're finding is occurring when Jesus is in the temple, cleansing the temple and healing and evoking the praise of the babes who are mentioned in Psalm 8. And that we read in Matthew 21. So let's turn to that now, which will be the focus of a sermon that we give here in our series of Matthew, uh, in Matthew, Matthew 21. And here, as no other place in the New Testament is record the praise of the babes. And even though there's parallel passages that deal with the cleansing of the temple in Mark and Luke, here this aspect of the praise of the babes is brought out in Matthew 21. And Matthew, as we know, is seeking to re reveal to the people who read Matthew that Jesus is the fulfillment of the Scripture. And here, Psalm 8. But let's begin back at verse 12 and read through the end of Jesus' visit recorded here to the temple. Verse 17. Matthew 21, 12 through 17, the Word of God at Matthew 21. Then Jesus went into the temple of God and drove out all those who bought and sold in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. And he said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. Then the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying out in the temple and saying, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant, they were mad, and said to him, Do you hear what these are saying? They wanted Jesus to silence the babes. And Jesus said to them, Yes, have you never read, referring to Psalm 8, verse 2, out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants, you have perfected praise. Then he left them and went out of the city to Bethany, and he lodged there. That's as far as we'll read. 
We linger at the temple where Jesus was wont to go throughout his life, also in his public ministry, but here visits for the last time before he dies on Calvary on Good Friday. Here it's Monday of the Passion Week, the first day that he entered was this Palm Sunday, as we say, and all the people were praising him who sat on the donkey, and they were, they were waving palm branches and throwing their clothes in the branches before the donkey, and Jesus was made to sit upon their clothes, so in honor it was all for this one who's come, whom they were declaring is the king to take the place of David, and so they sing Hosanna to this son of David. All eyes are on Jesus. All eyes are on Jesus as he enters. And then he comes and in the temple reveals just what kind of king he is. And a king has no other, no other Caesar, who's coming, who's seeing, and who's conquering, not earthly enemies, but sin and devils and leaders of devils in the Pharisees and chief priests. What a great revelation here. What great light in the kind of king that Jesus is and remarkable for the way he shows that he's the conquering king, priest, and prophet. And we're going to focus on this way that he shows these things or shows that he's the king in the wonderful things that he does which everyone had to acknowledge, and especially in the wonderful things that he does in eliciting, drawing forth praise from the mouth of the children of the covenant of grace in Israel. And so we want to consider what they were seeing, the wonderful things of Jesus, and then those telling words that were the responses of two kinds of people, those on Jesus' side and those against Jesus. And we want to consider this so that we see here there's a battle, but a bulwark that's set up in the battle, even in the babes, and therefore a lesson for us in the invincibility, the unconquerableness of the great conquering king also today. Because you ought to realize that it's Jesus who comes this time into the temple, still visits the temple, that is, he's still visiting the New Testament temple called the church in the hearts of sinners who call themselves Christians and the churches. This especially is where he's visiting even today and right now. Yes, Jesus is visiting us today. Do we see that? Well, let's consider, first of all, and see by faith the wonderful things that he did. And we want to focus on the fact that these are wonderful things that Jesus did. They're not ordinary wonders, if you can even say there's ordinary wonders. These aren't the seven wonders of the world, things that men make and erect and to the, to the praise of, of men. These are wonders of Jesus and that he did. Then we want to consider that there's a battle going on here. It comes out, the Pharisees are going to, have his neck if they could at the end of the week. And there's also a bulwark 
the mouth of the babes, as we said. But finally, there's something here for the strongest hold, as I call it. What's that, Reverend Dick? Wait till the end of the sermon. Jesus in the strongest hold. Well, who does not want to linger on the wonderful things that Jesus did, that he does and will do, but that he did on that Monday of his passion? What a wonderful thing. And he did wonderful things. For in the first place, we saw him, as we did last time, speaking and doing something in the name of his Father. This temple, the place where the Jews worship, was the house of God the Father. And Jesus is the Son of God, so especially Jesus is concerned with the holiness of the house of God. Aren't we concerned? We should be as sons and daughters of God. But here you have an example in Jesus, par excellence, the greatest lover of God in his glory. So Jesus comes and he wants God to get the glory in there being worship in the house of God and not business. And that's what was going on. People were making a profit and fleecing people even. And in every way, even by being there in the outer court of the temple, they were defiling what the temple was all about, and that is to worship God. Instead of the silence of worship and let all the earth keep silence before God, there was lots of noise and lots of uh, bickering about what the price should be for the doves and why are you scalping us and lots of conniving and even that in the traffic of religious things like sacrifices or money to get the right coinage where all the people were visiting Jerusalem at this time of the Passover feast. And it was a lot of hoopla and not much hallelujah. A lot of men and too little of God. That's what Jesus hates in what, call, what calls itself the house of God. And so he cleanses, he cleanses with the authority of heaven, with the right of heaven, not just the might, with the right, being in the right position, Jesus is, as the one who now will be the temple of God, and that temple will be destroyed, and, but in three days risen again, but who comes nevertheless right now as this living example of what God is and what God says and what God reveals himself to be and that he will be worshipped. All of that. Authority here. That's the wonderful thing that's happening. In John 2, as we saw last time, the first cleansing of the temple in the beginning of Jesus' public ministry, he took a whip of cords and he drove out the money changers and the, those who were selling doves and pigeons and, and other things connected with worship. He drove them out with that whip and with his words. But here, well, it says he overturned the tables and the, and the seats of those illicit mockers of worship. He 
had a hand in this, but especially the words that are spoken are are really irrefutable of the authority and truth of God by words from heaven. He drives them out more than anything else. After all, he could have upset them and they could have grabbed him by the neck and they could have said, away with this fellow who's upsetting our business here. Away with this. And they might have had an excuse. And this is all for convenience, don't you know, Jesus? We're helping the worship of God. As religious traffickers, they, they always have an excuse. But Jesus, he's the almighty God, you know. And he's speaking now on behalf of God. He always does. But as the word of God, the wonderful speech of God, they can't resist it. Can you imagine? He speaks to them, and it's like the power of creation, you know. And here it's the power of destruction, which also is in the hand of God. He can destroy, he can create. In the beginning, he said something, and there was something, because God is that powerful just by saying something. Let there be light, there's light. Let there be donkey, there's donkey, and and all of that. He can still do that today, you know. Though he doesn't, he doesn't speak work like that. He's done with creating, but he could work miracles, that's for sure, even in your life. But here he's working the miracle of the expulsion of evil from his house by a word. Foretaste of the day of days, isn't it? When Jesus, by the brightness of his glory and the words that he speaks, will destroy the wicked and they will be cast into hell by his word. That's how powerful he is. So the money changers, they thought they might have some power over Jesus, but they don't. He's speaking to their conscience. He's speaking to them who in the end of time will themselves, because of the prospect of the word of God coming to judge them, Jesus himself will cry to the the mountains and the hills and the rocks, please cover us. We're desperate. We know we cannot stand against the word, and here it is, the power of the miracle, the wonder of Jesus who speaks today, who saves today, who damns today as we are speaking on his behalf. You realize that? Saving and damning goes on in the congregation. Are you hearing Believing or ignoring what you're hearing. Powerful. Well, then, of course, the power and the great wonder of his healing the blind and the lame who came to him in the temple and he healed them. Oh, yes. Jesus is the great healer. He's the great healer of blind people and those who are lame. And he can heal you if he wants. But then... There's this miracle on which we would focus, the miracle brought out in our text here of the children crying in the temple, saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Now, it's that miracle to which the chief priests respond, first of all, and only here. The chief priests and the scribes, well, they're responding to other things, but they're saying something about 
what the children are saying, that especially irks them. Because it wasn't wrong of the children to say Hosanna to the son of David. At other times, in fact, we, we learn from the historians and the Jewish scholars that the Jews would bring out the children to join in the praises and worships and prayers of the people of God. They knew the covenant of grace. They knew that God included children in his promise and that God loves the little children of his good pleasure and in Jewry he shows this. But here was the problem they had, as we'll see in our second point. They're crying Hosanna to the son of David with respect to Jesus. And that they can't take. Again, more on that in the second point, but Jesus points them to the scripture in Psalm 8, verse 2, and this is what makes this a wonder. Out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants, you've perfected praise, and that there were babes and infants among the children who were crying out Hosanna to the son of David in the temple. Uh, can't be sure about that, but Jesus points out a truth here in this coming of little children, not adults, to him in this temple, that this is the fulfillment of, God is, of what God has ever said about how he saves people. I save believers and their children. And what we're seeing here in this miracle of the, the wonderful thing that's happening is Jesus mediating that kind of salvation now on the dawn of the New Testament. He's saying... And this is what God is saying through him, that God is the God of families. Have you never read, you Jewish people, out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants you've perfected praise? And this is a wonder, because God calls from the children of men those children who will be children of God and he calls out of those who have no strength in themselves by grace saving them so that this is real praise. After all, there's the fulfillment here of perfect praise, perfection of praise, revelation of what praise is all about. It's not fake. It's not just the children repeating what mom and dad have told them they should say. Hosanna to the son of David. Here is the king. Long live the king. We praise God. Whatever Hosanna means at this point. But this is real praise in little hearts that have been turned to God. And they are recognizing the way, the truth, and the life in Jesus. That's the wonder here. I'd say it's the wonder of all the wonders. It brings forth the indignation of the Christ deniers, but it perfects the praise of God. And it did. And this, those three wonders of Jesus' authority and of his healing and of his eliciting the praise of the babes, with regard to himself, were truly the wonderful things of God, drawing attention to God, not to man. Wonderful things, that's the only place in the New Testament this is used, this phrase, wonderful things that he did. 
It's variations of the form of the word, but here in the Greek language, it's these things that elicit awe that are done from heaven and obviously known to be from heaven that Jesus is doing now in the temple on this Monday morning of the Passion Week. And here it is. Jesus is showing he is the glory of the temple. Jesus is showing the fulfillment of the prophet who said that there will be the glory of the latter house that's greater than the former. He is the glory, the bright and shining name, who's uh, one whose name is wonderful. As the prophet Isaiah says, who can therefore only do wonderful things, wonderful words, wonderful healing, and the wonder here of working wonderful praise in little ones. Little ones. Taking them from the children of men and of Adam to be born again and to leave off from all of their toys to do the things of worship in the temple. Now who knows how much they understood but that's not the point. Our worship of God does not depend on our understanding of God. I say that again. Our worship of God does not depend on our understanding of God, of our intelligence. It doesn't depend on how smart we are, how good we are, how many rungs of the corporate religious ladder we have climbed. That's not... What the gospel is all about, the gospel is here are ones who normally would just be saying this and that and the other thing and they would be concerned about their own, their own needs, selfish are children and they don't hide it, but here they're doing not just the religious thing, but they're doing the thing that God is pleased with and this is the amazing truth of God revealed in Jesus, the God who saves sinners, the God who's revealed uh, here as the God who will have to do with you and with me. Though we really deserve to be cast out. Because we naturally are offended by God saving people who aren't much. Second point is the battle and the bulwark. There's a battle here. And the battle is the battle of the ages. We were privileged to have a Bible study at Calvin University this past Friday, as we've been doing for many years. And we talked about the Tower of Babel and how people were at Babel, way in the beginning, after the flood. They were making a city, and they were not obeying God and spreading the glory of God's name in all the earth. They are just going to say, no, we're just staying here. We're going to build a city, and Nimrod led the way. And we're going to build a city, and we're going to build a tower in that city, reaching up to heaven and make a name for ourselves, and it was exactly the same sin that Satan tempted Eve and then Adam to commit 
making a name for man in disobedience to God, thinking we know as good or better than God what's right, what's wrong, what's, what's best for us. Maybe having God on the side when we need Him, but not front and center on our knees before Him. This is the battle here, though it's not in, it's not a, it's not a Babel here, it's Jerusalem. Interesting, striking. Remember we said as Jesus is going to Jerusalem the last time just before that Sunday, he stops by and goes through Jericho where he healed blind Bartimaeus and another And we mentioned the fact that, remember, Jericho was that defiant city of all the cities of Canaan that was set aside as a cursed place and that anyone who would dare to rebuild the city would be cursed and his children, lose all of his children in the building of it because God was saying here, I want a testimony in this fallen city which I destroyed and the walls came down. Remember that? Jericho was the name Really, the Babel of Palestine, the city of man defying God. But here, there's Jerusalem. Another J, Jericho, stronghold against the Israelites. But I want to say this Jerusalem was a stronger hold, a religious in the name of God hold. It was against God. And here is why. And Jesus shows here is why. Because when he comes, his own will have nothing to do with him. The Jews will have nothing to do with him, by and large. Even at this time when he's showing the wonderful things that he's doing, they're missing it. You see... They still had the covenant. They still had the promises. They still believed that children even were a part of this whole thing and that, yes, Messiah was a great thing and we look for the son, one who's going to come and be the son of David. But they're missing everything. Though they had covenant, though they had promises and they had commandments, they're missing everything and missing Jesus. That's the problem. Just like today, you can have religion good people in your life, a good church and whatever, and you feel good, whatever, but if you don't have Jesus, you're like a stronger hold than the strongholds of the wicked. That's what Jerusalem was here, a stronger hold, a greater place of belligerence and indignation and a greater place of curse. Judgment is beginning here at the house of God. Judgment. These people have it all, religiously speaking. They have Psalm 8. They have Genesis 11. They have the whole of the revelation of God hitherto given to men. And they've rejected it. And they show this by rejecting Jesus. They don't want that word. And when that word especially speaks to them, 
one thing if it speaks to those money changers and those sellers of doves and those people, but when it speaks to them, those chief priests who now in Jesus seeing are seeing a leader that they must follow, they say no. And at this time, they're, they're moving to kill him. They're going to kill him. It's striking there. The battle, the battle is clearly known here, as Jesus always does. He, he makes the lines known. And it's known, too, in the things, in the, in the ones who are on his side, the blind and the lame, they come to Jesus in the temple. They want to have something to do with Jesus. They come to, not to the temple, they came to him in the temple. That's what we need to remember when we come to church. Make sure you come to God in the church, beloved, not just to church. To God in the temple. But they come to him and, and those children. There that absolutely quintessentially, whatever utmost example of perfect praise to God, and they are like a mighty bulwark, a great wall that's going to defend the truth of Jesus and the honor of his kingdom and covenant till the world ends. That's the emphasis of Psalm 8. In Psalm 8, the psalmist is glorying in the fact that God's name is known in all the earth. And the sun and the moon and the stars, God's glorified. Angels, God is glorified. But even sons of men is going down from most glorious to even sons of men who are little. And even the little ones of the son of men, and especially them, the psalmist has something to say with regard to them, because he points them out in verse 2, out of the mouths of babes and nursing infants, the littlest of men, they're not stars shining in the light. You have ordained strength, it says, meaning you have appointed so that there's going to be a, a strong testimony here of the truth of your glory and your name in the children because of the enemies, that you may silence the enemy and the avenger. What's going on here? Well, and what's going on, of course, when this is fulfilled in the temple? Jesus, in the word of God that he is, they're saying together that God, he takes the most likely not to have anything to do with Jesus and worship of God and so on, and he makes those a revelation of the truth that God nevertheless will have something to do with them. You see, every religion is, if we have something to do with God and we earn something with God, he'll have something to do with us. But the Christian religion is, God saves sinners. And he has something to do, and it's called a saving something to do, even with the likes of you and of me. And that's what these babes are all about. God saves from sons of Adam. God saves from rapscallion leaders so that there's light and people who see Jesus 
And the most unlikeliest of places, the stronger holds of Jewry. And now, beloved, even in the strongest holds, my final point, even in the strongest holds, and that would be the church of Jesus Christ, which is not Jericho, not heathen, it's no longer Jerusalem, but I would call it Gevangelicalism. There's a J there. Has something of Jesus, but by and large, and this is increasing at the end of time, it has nothing to do with Jesus. That's the church. Now, beloved, I'm not just making this up because I need a point and I need to sound important. That would be terrible. It's the truth. The truth. Many there are who are evangelical hucksters selling a kind of gospel that will give you something and that leads you to it in this something that they have to, to huck, to sell in the church so you feel good about yourself. Your belly's filled. You're, you're patted on the back. Every, good job. Keep going. But the word of repentance and the word of the cross is missed. It's missed. And this is preparing the way for the great apostasy or falling away of the church in the end of time. We're studying this in Revelation. We need to study this every day to discern the times. Even that which goes by evangelicalism, evangelicalism, it's Jesus and a parade of those who follow him. We have to watch out and be careful. By the grace of God alone can Jesus be at the center of the ministry so that it's not just about wonders and wonders of ministers and how great sermons they can preach. It's not just the numbers that are the wonders of the church, the megachurch. It's the cross, that bloody thing. And you know why it's such a stumbling block, beloved, is the cross? Because the exact same thing that Jesus is doing here, casting out the ones who don't belong in the temple, happens to him on Good Friday. It does. Not because he's a huckster, Jesus, but because God shows his wrath upon him in whom he's well pleased at the same time. Jesus becomes the sinner for our sake. Without any sin, yet he takes yours on and mine on. And so that this is a foretaste of, of the wrath of God itself. Don't miss that. And one way that people... And churches are missing in evangelicalism today the wonders of Jesus is by denying the children and not calling them 
to the baptismal font, to be baptized and set aside as God's people when they're baptized. That's a serious error, beloved. That's the error of the Anabaptists who say the children, they need to be saved. They need, like anyone else in the mission field, to be saved. Well, Jesus says here, the fulfillment of the children praising him was the fulfillment of Psalm 8, in which out of the mouth of babes and sucklings who can't tell you that they love Jesus, nevertheless, is perfected praise. Why? Because rather than baptism being a signification of what we can tell God, it's a signification of what God tells us. You see, the church has got to affirm the great bulwark of praise to God among the insignificance, starting with the children and the sinners of the church. It's not just formally about a doctrine of infant baptism. It's about a doctrine of praise, which God says is how he perfects praise. You see that? And among the evangelicals in their temples and so on, that's the take it or leave it. No. Let's never slip into that. We bring our children to the church. Why? To get them saved? No! No! That's free willism. We bring our children to church because they are saved. Not they might get saved. Not they're in a better position to be saved. They're with us. As much as we know that we're saved, we should know that they're saved. That's why the canons of Dort themselves say we shouldn't die if our children... We shouldn't worry if our children die in infancy because God takes them to heaven. The church needs children and children who with us worship God and children who with us praise God and pray to God. We're missing something that's a mighty bulwark defending the truth of God and how he saves. So, let us be thankful for the wonders of God in the church and the children's praise in our praise and in the healing of many a soul. Beloved, just one thing to remember. It was said once that a child was called to a prayer meeting because there was a drought in the land. And the child came to the prayer meeting because there was a drought in the land. The child came and they were going to pray about this drought. But the child came with an umbrella. Let's not leave our umbrellas home. Be a place where Jesus is constantly cleansing us from all the riffraff of ourself. Only believe. God's going to speak to us and he's going to show he loves us. Only bring your umbrella. Amen. We pray, Father.
Would you bless us now and our children? We pray that as a congregation of your good pleasure, Jesus may visit us. Oh, God, and cleanse us of evildoers, of our evil thoughts and desires, of our false doctrines, of our tendency to want anything but the wonders of Jesus, just so we can feel good about ourselves. Oh, God, give us the wonder of Jesus and his cross, his resurrection. Give us, Lord, repentance. Give us joy in the Holy Ghost. Give us good leadership. Continue to give us good leadership in those who desire the first thing, Jesus and his blood to be preached, and that this Jesus and his blood and his life may be known in the congregation, dying to self and sin and living unto you. Hear our prayers, prayers made by us and our children, your children, in Jesus' name, amen.